A Gulf Air A320 is landing in Bahrain, but they miss the airport. What caused this flight to get off track and crash into the ocean? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Hello. It's the disaster show. It is. I just took a two-hour depression nap. Sorry. I don't know if that's something to say sorry about. It's just kind of like, it is what it is. I just got home from a 13-hour workday, so that was fun. Disgusting. And I had to deal with middle schoolers. I beat both of you. Uh, I don't know. I had to deal with middle schoolers, too. That's uh, how my morning Did someone started. throw something at your head today? Because that happened to me. I think they were ready, too. <laughs> and it was the parents that were ready, too. It wasn't even the 12-year-olds who were all on their switches, and, you know, they were all distracted. Anyway. Yeah, be happy they had something to do. <laughs> yeah, seriously. seriously. Okay, we got some new patrons to thank. I yes, believe, we do. Uh, we need to thank, I don't know if we thanked Matt, but thank you. No, we didn't. Matt, thank you. Yes. Uh, also, Jack. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's it, but I'm going to double check. Okay. And Pablo. Pablo. What? Pablo. It's a free patron. Oh. Well, and we don't get... Um, we can still thank them. Notifications in our email. Somebody today upped their patronage as They well. did. Lexi, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all. Appreciate thank you, thank it. You, thank, you. thank you. We've crossed the 100 mark for patrons, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, not all of them are paid patrons. But no, but we've okay. crossed the 100 mark, which is still cool, no matter. So that's cool. And then uh, do all the normal stuff. The normal stuff. Like uh, look, look at the newsletter. That's right. And check out the website and, and do all that You're stuff. so enthusiastic about your <laughs> spiel. Check it out, man. I feel like people are like, I'm really tired of her doing this crap. <laughs> you know? You sound tired of doing this crap. Uh, I, I'm also just tired today. <laughs> so. That is fair. All right. Uh, is there anything? There's no more housekeeping, right? I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Don't we're going. So. We're going on a trip soon. We're going on a trip soon. And so our we're favorite rocket ship. We're yeah. aiming to get. You did it because I would have done it if you yeah, didn't do it. Yeah. We're we're aiming to get recorded ahead of time here so that. And we're we, currently we, behind. We, <laughs> yeah, by a couple of days. It's okay. We're not that far behind, but no. We're we're aiming to be ahead over the next few days actually and y'all are really ambitious about that i'm like mm. it'll happen it'll be all right i know you're not but i really don't want to have to put up with bs but when we come back <laughs> so you know we'll get her done it's fine anyway what are we covering today nick today i did the thing today we are covering gulf air flight 72 thanks to thanks to tracy for recommending this thanks thank you i like tracy yeah tracy's a patron Oh, yes. Thank you, Tracy. It took me a hot second. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This accident occurred on August 23rd of 2000. Wow. Okay. The 2000. The 2000. Y2K. Y2... I was just about to say that. <laughs> Y2K. Y2K. This is an Airbus A320. I, I hate to say this. Very unremarkable airplane. I mean, we have flown... On a lot of A320. It is. I have flown so much more than I used to in the last two years, and yet the A320 is still my most flown on airplane. It is, to me, the most unremarkable airplane in the sky right now. It is, and I say that with the highest of compliments, because they are so common and so reliable 
and some of them are going well on 30 years in some major airlines fleets. They are workhorses. They just do a good job. They're just reliable. Yes. What's wrong about being reliable? Absolutely nothing. It's just... Unlike the 737 MAX, (laughs) which has barely been in service (laughs) and can't freaking get its act together. Yeah. That's a whole nother discussion. But the A320, don't get me wrong, it's had accidents throughout history, but if you look at the ratio of accidents to number of flights the A320 has had, oh my God, insane. Insane reliability. Good airplane. If you don't know what an A320 is, Google it, and you will know what an A320 is. look at this episode post. There'll be one in the post. Milo wishes to join this episode. I know. He's all worked up for some reason. He's very restless. He keeps running around, making noise. (laughs) His head, like, poked through Nick's elbow. Yeah. He He was like, I'm here now. He decided to insert himself. Rude. If you've flown in the U.S., you have probably flown on an A320 or a 737. If you've flown uh, Frontier, if you've flown Spirit, you've definitely flown on an A320. (laughs) Yes, you have. Because that's a lot of their fleet. That's right. Is A320. Not all of it, but a lot of it. This A320 had the tail number, tail registration, Alpha 40-Echo Kilo. Okay. Very weird registration for a very, very tiny country. Well, it's a it's a small airline, right? Like Gulf Air? Kind of. They're bigger these days than they were back then, but they were still not that small. Are they? The I mean, they're like, not They're not of, big by any means. Don't get me wrong. What are they, out of Mexico? They are out of Bahrain. Oh. A tiny country. I mean, a country yeah. the size of my thumb. It, yes. Damn. They are. They're very you looked tiny. at them on a map, it is a city for a country. Yeah, it's a very tiny, tiny, teeny, tiny city. Bahrain is itty-bitty, teeny-tiny. It's one of them tiny, itty-bitty countries. It's an island. Yes. It's one, it's one of, of island countries. Yeah, it's one of the smallest. Yeah, but it's in it's in the Persian Gulf. Yes, which is why Gulf Air makes sense. Okay, thank right? you. Yes. I was trying to draw Yes, why dots, one thing makes the other. Yes. And now it makes sense. Yeah, it's in the Persian Gulf, in case you needed to know. Fittingly, this was a flight from Cairo in Egypt to Bahrain. That's not very far. I mean, it's across Saudi Arabia, but... Yes, you are correct. No, it's not very far. The captain for this flight was Ilsan Shakib, who's 37 years old. At the time, he had 4,416 hours total, of which 1,083 were on the E320. The first officer was Khalid S. Alwali, or no, Alawi, Alawi, I don't know, Alawi, something like that. I do not speak Arabic. Khaled S A L dash A L A W I. Alawalawi. It reminds me of like an enemy. Like an enemy. Right. I think it's Al Alawi. That's probably the right thing, right? I I don't know. You know what? I'm trying my best. You're doing your best. All right. And I'm Americanizing it as just as best as I can. Anglicizing. No Americanizing. Anglicizing would even be better. Probably. He was 25 years old at the time. He had 608 hours total, of which 408 were on the A320. He had 200 hours on training, something else. Oh, okay. Year 2000, tiny country. Yes, yes, I know, I know, I know. That doesn't mean I can like it. That just means I understand, and it still makes me um, gulp with... You are right to do so. Scary. (laughs) Yeah. The crew arrived... At the airport and at the departure gate 25 minutes before departure time, which was supposed to be 4 p.m. local time out of Cairo. 
that to me, working in the industry, feels like, wow, that is really late. Yeah, I was going to say, that airplane, seems pretty late. To but... arrive at the airplane 25 minutes before you're supposed to leave feels late. Yeah, because usually you're like boarding. Yeah. By then. I have a suspicion that they did not leave the gate on time, but they did not post that time. Oh, okay. Well. 135 passengers joined the eight crew members for the flight to Bahrain. The flight departed Cairo at 4.52 p.m. There's your big hint that they didn't leave the gate on time. It was 52 minutes after the departure time from the gate that they actually took off. The captain was the pilot flying for this leg, while the first officer was the pilot monitoring. The takeoff, climb, and cruise were normal. The initial descent was carried out normally. 7.21 p.m. and 48 seconds local time in Bahrain. The flight was descending through 14,000 feet and 30 nautical miles northwest of the airport when the approach controller instructed the flight, quote, self-navigation for runway 12 is approved, 3.5 as well approved, and Bahrain approach 12785 approved, end quote. Huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I started reading this and immediately had a heart attack because not one word in there was ICAO compliant. Wait, can you say it again? I wasn't paying attention. I will read this whole thing out again because it, yeah. Self-navigation for runway 12 is approved. 3.5, we'll talk about that in a second, as well approved. And Bahrain approach 12785 approved. Approved is not the right word here. Shouldn't it be cleared? Cleared or these are instructions. They're not approving anything. It's not a clearance. They're just telling them, hey, you need to go here and do this thing. Yeah, so let me clear this up because you're not going to believe what this actually says. Oh, no. <laughs> By self-navigation, they're telling them approach at your discretion for runway 12 oh, yeah. is approved. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's a clearance or an approval. 3.5 as well approved. What he's saying is 3,500 feet. Descend to 3,500 feet. No. That is an instruction. 3.5 approved is not even close. Very unclear instruction, right? And when do you do that? He's telling him just descend to 3,500 feet. Like now? Mm-hmm. Are they on approach? They're already in descent. Oh. They're at 14,000 feet in descending. Oh. I, I did not realize that. Yes. Okay. And he was telling them to continue descending to 3,500 feet. So how the heck are they supposed to know that they're supposed to go to 3,500 Per this instruction. 3.5. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in just a second. And then he says, Bahrain approach 12785 approved, which is 127.85 for the frequency to change to another Bahrain that's approach not controller. That's something you approve. No. That's an instruction. Not how that works. You say contact Bahrain approach 128.75. Or 127.85, sorry. Yeah. And this is just the first one. <laughs> that does it well. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, it just gets better from here. The flight read back the instructions, but the captain asked, quote, confirm we can go for runway 12, end quote, which to me was the clearest of the three instructions yeah. given. <laughs> yes, that that is the one. The approach controller responded with simply affirmative. Uh, affirmative. And then he says, three approves you have. What? What? There's, there's, he, he then clarifies his point wonderfully by saying direct 412, 3.5 approved, 12785 approved. 
There's so many numbers. What do the numbers mean? Why are there so many numbers? This is written so poorly. Oh, my God. This was said so poorly. He's saying you have three approvals right now, which they're not even approvals. They are instructions. You have three instructions right now. You don't get a choice. Yeah. And it definitely seems like this controller must have been frustrated or something. But also, he's using non-standard verbiage, non-compliant verbiage. Yeah. So... Sorry, but this was a mess. It's not even a but. It's just, sorry, you're doing your job wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, the captain then instructed the first officer to contact the Bahrain approach, the other frequency that was given to them. The first officer contacted that approach controller, and the controller responded, quote, cleared self-position, and uh, you're cleared by Daran. Confirm 3,500 feet, end quote. This guy's a little closer. (laughs) with his verbiage, but not by much. Cleared self-position is not a thing anywhere in aviation. That is to say they are setting up for the approach on their own. I guess. But really that instruction would be cleared as filed or at your discretion, at pilot's discretion, giving a clearance through an area, and then he's asking them to confirm that they're descending to 3,500 feet, to which the captain then told the first officer to tell the air traffic controller that they were cleared to 7,000 feet. What? Where did you get that number from? It was their previous descent clearance. Oh, good Lord. From another controller I mean, when someone says 3.5, I guess my brain automatically doesn't go to 3,500 either. No, I don't think Weird how that works. I don't think they caught on to that one. 3.5. Who does that? Right. This guy. It's like it's like it's like in science class when they're like you got to put your your what was it next to it the 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 the, the units yeah. yes you got to put your units right because then otherwise it's just an arbitrary number and it doesn't mean anything right three it, it's three point five pieces of a pizza like I don't know <laughs> what, what is it <laughs> what is it water balloons how do you have half a water balloon yeah. I don't know watermelons watermelons three thousand five hundred watermelons. <laughs> 3.5 watermelons. Jane had 3,500 watermelons. <laughs> Johnny took 3,489 watermelons. How many watermelons did Jane have? Too many. Jane still had too many watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny has way too many watermelons. <laughs> and why are, they, why are they taking so many watermelons from each other? <laughs> they must have a big family. They must really like watermelons. <laughs> so yeah that (laughs) anyways yeah they're confused i am too (laughs) the first officer then informed the air traffic controller of the seven thousand foot thing that they knew about and this controller then instructed them to to instructed the flight to continue their descent down to three thousand five hundred and said so correctly thank god thousand five hundred watermelons now they understood yes three thousand five hundred three thousand five hundred watermelons if the watermelons are one foot in length yes (laughs) we are american we like to measure things and not units fruit and yes in fruit and other not units that's also equivalent to like two million grapefruits yes My favorite is the the one that always pops up on social media here and there. It was like the news headline that was like, uh, sinkhole the size of seven washing machines opens up in 
middle of the street. And they're like, Americans will literally measure in anything other than units of measurement. We also measure uh, cancer by fruit. Yes. Or sports balls. Yes. We also, uh, babies. Yes, that too. Yep. Which are basically a form of cancer. <laughs> it's growing inside you. Self-removing form. I, I choose to uh, plead the fifth. <laughs> Any parasite. Yes. Anywho. The crew then began the approach checklist. 7.23 p.m. and 21 seconds. The approach controller instructed the flight to continue descending to 1,500 feet and report when established on the VOR DME for runway 12. Now we're getting somewhere. All this made sense. This was wonderful. <laughs> this was an instruction that works. So obviously they're aiming for a VOR DME approach. We've talked about these a lot, actually, in the past. I hate them. Yeah. They're non-precision approach. It uses instrumentation equipment. Also, is when they say like 7 DME, does that not mean 7 nautical miles? It's seven it nautical does. miles from the DME, right? It's seven nautical miles from the VOR. Oh. Which is not the end of the runway. Okay. I know. Because that was Lovely important thing. in this one. They're, the VOR is not apparently at the end of the runway. Because they're like, right. seven DME is like 7.7 7 mm-hmm. miles or something like that. And this but, is that's actually standard with most VOR DMEs. Because wherever the VOR actually is... That's what you're measuring the DME, and the chart will tell you exactly how many DME you have to be from the VOR to be at a certain point on the approach. So like I said, we've talked about the VOR DME before. I'm not going to cover it too much more at length, because just go listen to previous episodes. You've Which got the ones? idea. You'll, you'll have to find them. There's it's a, a scavenger hunt. If, you, a lot if you want the, an in-depth explanation on VOR DME, listen to the New York Collision episode. Yes. Where Christy cries because it's so frustrating. And you can understand VORs a little bit. Maybe. It's rough. After you understand the concept, it's not that bad, but understanding the concept is... Oh, God yeah. God forbid I ever actually had to do it. Oh, no. Don't yeah. ask me to, to navigate using it. Yeah, that's, that's out of the question. It's tough. When you have ADSB and GPS, GPS now, <laughs> why? Yeah. And for fun? No, thanks. Uh, people do it for fun. Oh, I they know. do. It's some you and Brendan would do for fun. Yeah, probably. Although, honestly, him and I usually were like, mm, no. <laughs> we, Math? We, nah. We'll tune to a VOR just to be like, yeah, there it is. And listen to the beep, 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 beep. Because each one has a different Morse code. You can listen to it if you want. I'm good. And so we'd do that. And usually we'll sit there and listen to it for a minute and go, hmm, yep. That's a VOR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's there it the is. One. Pops up on the little HSI and woohoo, there it is. We, we still got it. the GPS running, knowing where we're going. I know I know it seems silly. It's not a bad concept to learn VORs, but at the same time, we have much more accurate forms of navigation these days that get you in a lot less trouble. Let's just be honest about that. It's not about laziness. It's not about easy. It's actually about safety. That's the truth. I see too many rants around on social media about, oh, this generation doesn't know how to navigate via blah, 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 blah. And sure. They probably do, but the reality it's is... It's so antiquated. It's very antiquated, and we have much safer Why means... Why would you do that? We have much safer means of navigation that promote safety for multiple reasons. One, sticking to a track. Two, it promotes you actually paying attention outside the windshield a lot more often. So that's a whole other thing. So so TLDR, uh, VOR, you fly at a thing that's em- emitting a signal, Yep. and there's a thing that tells you how far away you are from it. Yep. That That's it. That's about it. 
and they're doing an approach using that. The flight crew then discussed the approach and configuring the instruments for the approach. 7.25 p.m. and 15 seconds, the flight was 9 nautical miles from the runway 12 at 1,873 feet with an airspeed of 313 knots. The captain stated, quote, Final descent is 7 DME. End quote. There are 2 DME from that at this point. 7.25 p.m. and 37 seconds, the airplane was 7.7 nautical miles from the runway at 1,715 feet and 272 knots when the captain instructed the first officer to, quote, call established, end quote. So say we're established on the approach to the air traffic controller. Eight seconds later, the flight was seven nautical miles from the runway. The approach controller cleared the flight for the approach to runway 12 and instructed the flight to contact the Bahrain Tower. 7.26 p.m. and four seconds, the first officer contacted the Bahrain Tower and stated, quote, eight DME established, end quote. So there are eight DME from the VOR and... They were established on the approach. Short, sweet. That was it. The air traffic controller then to, cleared... To the point. That, yeah, to the point. The air traffic controller then cleared the flight to land. The first officer acknowledged the clearance. 7.26 p.m. and 13 seconds, the flight was 5.2 nautical miles from the runway at 1,678 feet and 224 knots when the captain called for flaps one, followed by gear down a second later. 7.26 p.m. and 37 seconds, the captain stated having the airport in sight... The autopilot and flight director were then disengaged. 7.26 p.m. and 49 seconds, the flight was 2.9 nautical miles and descending through 1,000 feet from the runway, that is. Two seconds later, the captain noted that they needed to be established by 500 feet and then requested that flaps 2 be selected. You caught it, didn't you? Hold on. What? Established on what? By 500 feet? The approach. Aren't they supposed to be established on the approach already? Hold on. Wait, what the f***? What? Excuse yes. me? Excuse me? Excuse me? Yes. The f- you say what? Yeah. Stick a needle in it. That's how my analysis starts. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> hold on to that thought. <laughs> establish it. Fi- Excuse me? Wait, hold on. You were And that's 500 feet of approach? altitude. Yeah, no, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what? Weren't they supposed to be established like. 3,500 feet? Well, they were supposed to be established on the approach when they said they were established, which was seven nautical miles... Ago. Ago. Well, seven nautical miles out. Yes. It was about four point whatever nautical miles before this point. I'll get into it. Just, just, just... Hold on to that thought. Okay, Linda. You're on to something. There's also a few other key things that I have been saying. I've only been half paying attention, so... I know. There was was some really... (laughs) Interesting numbers if you were paying attention. I'll leave it at that. So, so our listeners are probably screaming. There's a few people that are probably like, what? <laughs> you said how many knots? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't pay attention to that. But We're at okay. like 220 or something. What? It Hold on. It started at 313. Why are they so fast? And then it was 242. It's still really fast. Or sorry, 272. <laughs> and then they went to 224. We're get we're getting there, we're getting there. Just just hold hold on to all this. Hold on to all this. I don't want to give away too much. I'm trying to leave you something to talk about. I'll still talk about it. Oh, it I might know. be redundant, I know. but anyways, I don't I don't do well at improvising, so I will read my script regardless of what happens. Yep. So a few seconds later, a few being like a dozen or something like that. Seconds later, the captain stated twice, "quote We're not going to make it." End quote. Correct. Stated that twice. 7.27 p.m. and 23 seconds, the captain instructed the first officer to, quote, 
Tell him to do a 360 left, end quote. Tell him air traffic control. The English is bad here. What he was asking was he was asking the first officer to tell the air traffic controller that we're going to do a left 360 degrees. They need a clearance for it. The first officer then requested a left 360 from the tower, which was approved. The turn was initiated at 0.9 nautical miles from the runway, Mm. less than a mile Mm -hmm. from the runway, Mm -hmm. and at 584 feet above the ground with an airspeed of 177 knots. Just stop spitting out numbers. That's... The story was just nothing but numbers. I actually negated a lot of them. Okay, good. A lot of them. While in the left turn, flaps three, then flaps full were selected throughout this left 360. 7.28 p.m. and 17 seconds, the captain called for the landing checklist while still in the left turn. What? (laughs) What? Wait, the landing checklist wasn't done yet? One, two, why are you doing it while you're trying to do a go around? That is the worst time. They haven't gone around yet. They're doing a 360. Why is it not They're done doing a 360. before less than a mile before the runway? Right. I less feel like mile, that's like a... But then they're getting further away and coming back onto the same approach. However, they haven't officially done a go around yet. They're just trying to lose speed and altitude and set themselves up properly for a landing that they decided was They're ne- pretty freaking close to out. do that and pretty close to the ground to do that. We'll talk about it. Put a, put, a, put a pin in it. Put a needle in it. There's, there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> she's so frustrated at this point. She's lost English. <laughs> words, words don't exist. <laughs> Anyways. I really hate when Miranda starts figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what the was happening? Ah! Anyway, the first officer called out a short time later, quote, landing checklist complete, end quote. The aircraft then rolled out of the turn to wings level. Don't, Seven, don't say I didn't. 7.28 p.m. and 57 seconds, the flight was cleared to land on runway 12 again by the air traffic controller, and the captain stated, quote, we overshot it, end quote. Yeah, you did. They entered another left turn, and the throttle was increased. 7.29 p.m. and 7 seconds, the captain instructed the first officer, quote, tell him going around, end quote. We've now made the decision to go around. I hate to preface, but this is the worst go-around attempt I've ever seen in my entire life. And I don't, I... And you didn't even see it. No. <laughs> but it's the worst I, one I've ever seen, and I've never even seen it before. But I've seen the graph and the numbers. I'll put it that way. All right, let's talk about it. Do you have to? I don't talk about the numbers much, but I do talk about the gist of it. The thrust was increased to go-around power. The air traffic controller acknowledged the go-around message with, quote, I can see that. <laughs> Thank you? I don't really think they need your confirmation. That's, that's an inside thought. Yeah, right? You're, you forgot to put your inside like, thought inside. Your <laughs> yeah, they were like, we're going around, and the, the tower controller watching this on the radar is like, yeah, I know. I can see that. They're just letting you know, bruh. Dude. Yes. Yes. That's just such a snarky comment. I know. That's what is with these air traffic controllers? Uh, we'll talk the about audacity. that. Audacity. We'll talk about If someone said that while I was going around, I'd be like, "You, you want to come do it yourself?" I can see that. No. Yeah. yeah. That's why I told you. <laughs> that way, you're not like, "What are you doing?" Yep. I'm going around. <laughs> yep. Exactly. I up. Yep. Anywho, where was I? Oh, yeah, that's right. 
The air travel controller then asked, quote, would you like radar vectors for final again? End quote. You know, asking them, can I help you reset up for the approach? Right. The first officer accepted this. And the air traffic controller instructed the flight to turn to a heading of 300 degrees and climb to 2,500 feet. The first officer acknowledged. The flaps were moved to position three and the gear was retracted. 7.29 p.m. and 41 seconds, the flight was at 1,054 feet above ground at an airspeed of 191 knots as they passed over the runway. The flight then received a master warning, which followed with the first officer stating, quote, speed, overspeed limit, end quote. The airplane then pitched forward and began descending. 7.29 p.m. and 51 seconds, the flight was at 1,000 feet AGL when they received an oral warning of sync rate, sync rate from the ground proximity warning system or the GPWS. This was followed almost immediately by whoop, whoop, pull up. Well? The captain then requested flaps up. 7.29 p.m. and 59 seconds, four seconds later, the captain requested again, flaps all the way, end quote, quote, unquote. And the first officer replied, zero, quote, unquote. To clarify, that was another attempt to say flaps up, and the first officer said zero, saying he set it in position zero, flaps up. Yeah. The flight continued to pitch down, and at just after 7.30 p.m., just after 7.30 p.m., the aircraft crashed into the water just off the coast line beside the airport and disintegrated on impact heavily, hard, very hard. I mean, completely disintegrated. The wreckage was in about just three meters of water, so about nine feet of water was the depth of water there. Yeah, yeah, but water is an incompressible fluid. Yes, it is, so it doesn't matter. It's like hitting concrete. Yep, this was just four kilometers from the airport, just off the coast. Most of the aircraft debris was actually recovered, almost all of it, because, of course, it was sitting in shallow water, so that was easy. The extensive damage, of course, the extensive wreckage, made it immediately apparent that, unfortunately, nobody survived the crash. All 143 on board perished in the accident. It happened fast. Very, very fast. I left out a lot. I did. There was a lot in the story that I did not talk about because I was like, I would be giving away too much. I just know I am. Mm-hmm. This investigation was performed by the Accident Investigation Board, which was appointed after the accident by the government of Bahrain. Mm-hmm. With the assistance of the NTSB, the BEA, Bahrain Civil Aviation Affairs, or the CAA, the Directorate General of Civil Aviation and Meteorology, okay. or DGCAM, or DGCAM, of the Sultanate of Oman. Yes. Which is another country. The first officer was Omani. Oh. The captain was from Bahrain. The FAA, Airbus, the airline, and CFMI, which is the engine manufacturer. Yes. Why the CFM FAA? Inter- CFM International. Because oh. it's the FAA and they get involved in everything. And That's... the NTSB is helping. Yeah. I don't know. It's just the truth. They get involved in everything. If Also, if there was a USS on board, the NTSB and the oh. FAA have the right to be there. So I don't know. I didn't look at the breakdown. But, I didn't either. But they also just get involved anytime major accident happens. All that being said, it is worth noting that the NTSB representative was designated as investigator in charge. You know, because they, they do they this a lot. They really knew what they were doing. And this was an important time because I didn't say this, but this was the deadliest crash of an A320 in history at the time. Until TAM 3054. Right. Which we covered early. Yeah. So. What episode? It's like 13 or something. Yes, early. Know, it's early. not 13 because 13 I talked to James about today. Mm. Um, yeah, it was early that, that, that we know. It was 12, in fact. Oh, 12. I was close. 12. 12 of them. It's not 13. You mean it? 
episode 12 is an example of why we should really stop putting gas stations at the end of runways. Yes. Yeah. Who thought of that? Uh, Midway, uh, Brazil twice. <laughs> Brazil twice. <laughs> yeah. Chicago Midway. Yeah. There's there's a whole host of airports that have done that. Stop it. Bad anyway, idea. not relevant. Both black boxes were found and sent to NTSB headquarters in Washington, D.C. for initial readout and then sent to the BEA in Paris for further readout. I mean, it is their airplane. Whatever. It was built there. The weather was found to not be a factor. However, it was also noted in the meteorological factors that the crash occurred one hour and 24 minutes after sunset and that there was no moon. This led to dark night conditions and made the horizon likely indistinguishable over the sea. Yeah, when you're talking about water and sky, no clouds, no light, you can't tell the difference when you're in an airplane. I have experienced this. I mean, it's just black hole. That's it. That's all you see. That's called foreshadowing. Yes. Actually, really, that's most of the explanation. It kind of is, but still. The CVR picked up during the first approach since it could only record 30 minutes at a time. Because of this, investigators were unable to determine whether or not the approach briefing was ever completed. Right. You want to bet dollars to donuts? It wasn't. <laughs> With the way things were going, considering I, what's, I would it be dollars to donut? What's the currency over there? It I, ain't dollars. I don't know. Sorry. Sometimes it is. Sometimes weird countries use U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Me and Nick had an extended conversation yes. about that when you were gone on your trip. But the Bahamas use it. Is that why you were talking about it? No, it was a weird. There was like a video where one of the YouTubers he watches went to a really obscure country, but they take U.S. currency. Mm -hmm. Why? Weird. And it was like a Soviet country. Oh. That takes U.S. currency. It was weird. Okay. Per the approach chart for the VOR DME approach to runway 12, the final approach fix, or FAF, is at 7 DME. And standard operating procedures dictates that the aircraft is to be configured for approach prior to the final approach fix, meaning gear down, flaps full, altitude as required at FAF, in this case 1,500 feet, and flying V-approach, which is equal to V-landing plus a third of the headwind component plus five knots. I'm actually kind of glad that they gave us that because no one ever tells me the difference. In this case, that would have been 136 knots. Did they do any of that before the final approach fix? No. When at the final approach fix, they were flying at 223 knots, flaps at detent one, landing gear not down, and an altitude of 1,662 feet. Dude, why were they flying so fast? They were screaming right along. Yeah, and like, no wonder they didn't have the gear down and would have ripped the gear off. Yeah. And yet, they continued the approach, and the speed continued to be excessive. A problem? Simulations of this approach revealed that from the final approach fix as configured, they could have landed safely, but it would have required a rapid deceleration and steep approach angle and would have, quote unquote, produced severe discomfort for the passengers. Yes, that is the biggest concern. Or you could do the thing that they tried to do, which they didn't do right, but you know. Or they killed all the passengers. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. At 726, the captain said, visual with the airfield and have to be stabilized by 500 feet. In reference to the correct position and configuration at 1.7 nautical miles away from the runway, which would be gear down, flaps full, height 500, speed 136 knots. The FDR showed them at gear down, flaps 2, height 722, speed 198 knots. Realizing that, the captain stated we're not going to make it twice. The captain then proceeded to perform a 360-degree orbit to lose speed and height, rather than performing the standard missed approach outlined on the approach chart. Which is what you are required by ICAO regulations to do when you do one of these approaches. A 360 is not standard at all. No. 
but a full missed approach is longer. I'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. They entered the 360 at 0.9 nautical miles from the runway at a height of 584 feet and a speed of 177 knots. The captain then called for flaps three and then flaps full, which is not recommended for performing a maneuver, such as a 360 orbit. The most flaps recommended for maneuvers is detent three, especially if the gear is down. The high drag from flaps full causes a loss of maneuverability and subsequent over-controlling, and this was seen on the FDR. The recommended rate of turn is rate one of three degrees per second, but he took it at four degrees per second and did not maintain altitude or bank angle, which are basic parameters for turning, especially with such high drag. This may have been due to not being able to see the horizon. Mm -hmm. In such conditions, the pilot absolutely must reference instruments to maintain spatial orientation and situational awareness. Only relying on vestibular or proprioceptive senses can cause disorientation in a turn since the turn puts your inner ear balance out of whack. Very technical term. In a short form, trust your instruments. Or look at them. He was hand-flying them and staring into the void. During the turn, they dropped from 965 feet to 332 feet and at bank angles in excess of the standard 25 degrees. Why does it say 965 feet when it said they entered it at 584? I don't know. Uh, They might have... They did. It fluctuated. It said in the story between 985 or what was it? 965? 965 feet and 230 feet. Good Lord. They... Were all what up were they doing? He was hand flying and staring into the void. He was not looking at his instruments, clearly. Was no one looking at the altitude or the speed? Nobody? CRM uh, what, is clearly what, not a thing. What may have contributed to this loss of altitude <laughs> <laughs> and variance in bank angles was that the first officer as pilot not flying did not make the requisite call outs of altitude, bank, and attitude when deviating from a standard. Mm-hmm. Maybe because he has a ridiculously small amount of hours. That ain't all. Um, now, I keep calling it a 360 degree since, you know, that was the intention. But the captain pulled out of the turn after only 270 degrees. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a big thing I didn't say there. So the heading was now perpendicular to the runway. The captain made no comment as to why he rolled out early, but investigators had a couple of guesses, one of which was that he may have regained a horizon reference and rolled level when he regained situational orientation, but he took too long flying straight out of the orbit that he flew past the center line of the runway and lost the chance to line back up. So he's flying toward the runway, did his loop, but then came out this way and just flew away from the runway and then realized the mistake. And He did a dumb. After rolling wings level, the first officer called runway in sight 300, and a simulation showed that the runway would have been visible to the first officer's 10 o'clock. But then they flew past the center line, and the captain said, we overshot it, while initiating a left-hand turn while at 336 feet above ground and pulled the nose up to 13.7 degrees before lowering the nose to 8.8 degrees nose up. The captain instructed the first officer to tell ATC they were going around. Okay, cool. But they didn't follow proper procedure for a go-around. Correct pitch for a go-around would have been 15 degrees nose up, which was never achieved. I was going to say, they're not. the nose is still too far down to be that. Not achieving the correct pitch while also at toga power caused a rapid increase in airspeed. Air traffic control asked if they wanted radar vectors to final approach, which the first officer confirmed, and they were given fly heading 300 and climbed to 2,500 feet, which the first officer acknowledged, but then asked the captain, right? Left? They were flying at a heading of 040 degrees. The master warning sounded for flap overspeed. The flaps were in the third detent, and they were flying too fast for that, so the captain called for flaps to be retracted. At the same time, the captain applied a nose-down input for 11 seconds, 
and the aircraft pitched down to the maximum allowable angle of 15 degrees. What? Dude, what is he doing? Also, you're just going to gain airspeed doing that. That's so stupid. And they did very quickly. They were at full throttle and pointed down. This is why they hit so hard. He was likely disoriented. Very. During those 11 seconds, the ground proximity warning began sounding sink rate and then whoop, whoop, pull up and continued until impact. And the captain did not verbally respond to the warnings. Four seconds after it started sounding, he made a nose up input, which increased the pitch by 6.7 degrees. But that was not as hard as he could have pulled up with the side stick and they were still descending. The captain had not responded to the GPWS fast enough, especially since response to such a warning is a memory item. And it's immediate. Yep. Furthermore, quote, if a captain does not respond to the first few GPWS warnings, the standard operating procedures, the first officer should assume that the captain is incapacitated and take control of the aircraft. However, as stated in the paragraph above, in this case, it appears that both the flight crew, the captain, as well as the first officer did not comprehend the criticality of the aircraft's attitude and increasing proximity to the ground, end quote. Although it's telling you to pull up, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, probably means... Pull up. You need to pull up. They have these... Handy dandy, um, two thousands screen, <laughs> screenshots. Oh man! Of a diagram of what he was likely feeling versus what they were actually pitched at, and you can clearly see in this that he was probably using his vestibular system and proprioception. And proprioception. Fun Always fact: words to say the vertigo, his sense of vertigo. Fun fact: I have really bad proprioception. Sure. And sure, <laughs> I'm a clumsy doofus. I mean, me too. Anyway, these events raise two critical questions. One, why did the captain violate standard operating procedures? And two, why didn't the first officer do anything about it? To answer question one, we must first examine what the captain gained by skipping vital steps. What would he gain by not performing a proper go around? Is that showing me what he would gain? No, no, that's the flight path. Stop interrupting me. Oh, keep going then. I wasn't interrupting. Investigators found that the performance of a go-around requires an air safety report to be submitted describing the circumstances requiring the missed approach. Although the airline stated that they didn't take any action against pilots who conducted a missed approach, it was apparent to investigators one way or another that there was an unfavorable approach by management towards pilots that did a missed approach. Dude, boo! Boo. Further interviews revealed that not all pilots experienced a high level of scrutiny regarding standard operating procedures, especially with regards to performing in orbit. Apparently that's just like something people did. Yep. Not right. No. Another factor in why the captain didn't perform a go-around was revealed earlier in the CVR. The captain was demonstrating his knowledge to the first officer and emphasizing that the first officer could learn a lot from him. A missed approach could be seen as a failure in his flying ability in the eyes of a junior officer. This factor also helps answer question two. Why didn't the first officer do anything? The first officer was unlikely to speak up and challenge a captain, especially given the authoritative teacher persona the captain had demonstrated before. This coupled with the first officer's reported shy and unassertive demeanor and his low hours all feed into why he didn't question the captain. Yep. Bruh. Tale as old as time. You see what I mean when I said earlier, I was like, I could (laughs) have copied and pasted these notes. Yeah. Like, it sounds like a lot of other accidents we've talked about with... uh, But this was a combination of a lot of different things we've talked about. Yes. Being very poor decision-making. Poor verbiage, poor CRM, poor decision-making, loss of... Visual contact with situational anything. awareness, situational awareness completely, not paying attention to the instruments, not flying the airplane 101. 
period, mm-hmm. full stop. Just all around, bad training, bad company organization. Gulf Air still exists, by the way. They're a much better company now. They operate, it's a much larger airline than it used to be. They're not huge, but they operate some bigger airplanes than they used to. But there's a lot of problems with them at the time. Well, obviously. And I didn't even talk about everything either. There's a lot mm-hmm. of organizational factors that they talked about. Yeah, they talk about it a lot in the findings. The findings were pretty lengthy, but I will talk about in the second half how I'm actually doing it because I'm not reading the whole thing verbatim. Oh, God. That's... Is that the probable cause? Yes, the contributory factors. That's two pages. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the only thing there was. There's no probable cause otherwise. So GoFair has changed paint schemes a couple of times since this this would have been the paint scheme worn by the airplane okay question that's and they actually have a retro jet flying this color cool however in between what they had then and what they have now they flew this which was pretty snazzy Ooh, yeah gold bird i think that's the one i know yeah probably a lot of people a lot of people actually recognize this it's a pretty well-known one just because it's so pretty so pretty but now they have a new one and it's also actually pretty, but now they have 787s and whatnot. It's a little less flashy, but it's still gold. The gold, yeah. That's what I associate with Gulf Air is the gold. Yes. Okay, well, let's take a brick break. Brick break. Brick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back. So like I kind of alluded to, the findings were structured a little strange. The section is correct, and it's not that the findings aren't good findings. It's just that they were structured a little strange. So I have to break them down a little differently because they had a lot of sub-bullet points, which normally we don't do with these. So they have, in total, eight findings and a bunch of sub-points for each one of those. Not all of them, actually, but between all of them, there's a lot of subpoints. So I'm not reading the subpoints. I'm going to read the findings, and then we'll talk about it a little bit because they break down a lot of the details in the subpoints. They found that the captain did not adhere to a number of SOPs, particularly during the approach and final phases of flight. They then list out the number of times that he did not follow SOP, which to me, this list is a little short. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> it's a little long, but no. No, one, short. two, three, four, five, six, seven points they decided to point out where he was not following SOP, and I am like, seven feels like too few all yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> it does, actually. So the seven is definitely a little short, Tommy. But he did. I mean, he missed a lot of SOPs. When we start talking about the, so the standard operating procedures... He missed a lot of them, the things that are in the flight manuals and the training manuals and the company's required SOPs. It's what you have to follow to do your job. Was not doing them. And that was because the company, which they'll talk about in a minute, the company had a propensity to have these SOPs by regulation and then not enforce them because they would rather enforce their own money-making scheme, right, at the time, which... There's a lot of companies have gone through this. Like I said, Gulf Air still exists in a much better airline now. A lot of things have changed, different management, different things have, you know, so many things have changed. But at the time, there were some problems. 
They found that during the approach and final phases of flight, in spite of a number of deviations from the standard flight parameters and profile, the first officer did not call them out or draw the attention of the captain to them as required by SOPs. Yes, the first officer did not do the pilot monitoring's job and calling out and noticing when they were deviating from flight paths, when they weren't set up on the approach properly, calling out altitudes and airspeeds and things when they needed to be calling them out, was not doing any of that. And we talked about why already, but primarily new crew next to a an experienced captain in a company that prioritized experienced captains, rule of law. Yep. CRM problems, right? They found that during the go-around after the orbit, it appears that the flight crew experienced spatial disorientation. To say the least, yes, 100%. They were disoriented. I wouldn't even say it appears. They were definitely disoriented. They weren't looking at their instruments. No. You could tell. The last things that they said had absolutely zero indication of panic or understanding of the situation they were in. There's oral warnings going off like crazy in the cockpit all the way until the point of impact. Well, until the recording ended, which is actually a few seconds before or couple seconds before impact but regardless they didn't do anything like they didn't notice literally nothing clicked they did not was like hello yeah they were not paying attention to it the fourth finding i do have to break down a little bit because they just simply said controlled flight into terrain it is c fit through disorientation but it was also because of crm so they talk about the gpws and the sync rate and the They did not pay attention to this. They didn't even react to it. The only thing that they seemed to react to was their airspeed through this whole little ordeal, which was only a handful of seconds long, by the way. It wasn't it wasn't as long as it kind of made it seem. All of this happened pretty fast, but they weren't paying attention to anything but their airspeed. That oral warnings are going off. But the very first warning that they had gotten was a master warning. Mm-hmm. Because they had oversped the flaps because he went to take off power and pitched the nose down a little bit. They were pretty much already flying just above level, but basically level. So the airplane was accelerating rapidly at full thrust, well past what the flaps were designed to do. You would think that would have triggered something. Yes. So that triggered, like, of course, the hey. warning. But they didn't even do anything about that. The craziest thing is they didn't do anything about that. What he did was pitch the nose down. Which just made it worse. And for one, pull all the f- the flaps back so it would stop doing. Yeah, they that. retracted the flaps, but he was still at full throttle. That yeah, that wasn't the flaps weren't the problem. <laughs> the problem was you're going so damn you fast. You were going way too the fast. The flaps are gonna fly off the airplane. Pretty much, which they didn't, by the way. Well, well they were in motion retracting. I'm sure they were found in separate pieces. All in one place. In one place, but. Yeah, everything, don't get me wrong, everything disintegrated. Yeah, so everything was in pieces. Everything disintegrated, but all the wreckage was in one place. One of their whole things, their whole findings, basically, was also the airplane did not have any failures, structural failures, before impact. Nothing. So somehow that airplane still held itself together. Tolerances. Science. Science. Yep. Saved them from having a... Even worse. I don't know. It's pretty bad. There's nothing worse than this, really. No. I mean, they still crash. Straight into the water. Hard. We don't even know exactly what speed they were going when they hit because they were just in a constant acceleration. I'm sure they did some math and could figure it out. There's so many graphs at the bottom of this report. I didn't look. Oh, my God. There's like 30 graphs at the bottom of this report. 
and I, I'm not going to go and dig through all of them. I'm sorry. I'm not. I just, I, for one, I just don't have the time. Two, irrelevant. The information is already there. We know what happened. They, of course, noted the, the from the sea fit, the captain, again, they noted the captain's lack of using any instruments and the information provided to him. The oral warnings, the instruments, everything. Everything. He was not us- utilizing any of it to get himself oriented and set himself up correctly. Yeah. They found that during the approach and final phases of flight, the captain did not consult the first officer in the decision-making process and did not effectively use the first officer's valuable human resources available to him. A lack of training in CRM contributed to the flight crew not performing as an effective team conducting the operation of an aircraft. CRM training didn't exist. Apparently. It didn't. They didn't have it. Gulf Air didn't do CRM training at the time. Oh. And then you wonder why things like this happen. Which is against ICAO yes. regulations. Yes. But then again, what here happened that was, wasn't, what, <laughs> was was within ICAO regulations, including the air traffic controllers? Yeah, you ain't wrong. They didn't even mention that, by the way, at any point in time, anywhere else in the report. Like, they didn't mention the fact, even in the story, they didn't mention the bad verbiage. Nothing. Okay. They said nothing about it. And they said nothing about it anywhere else in the report. Even though I would say that shows a general lack of... Caring? Following regulations and whatnot. Yes. Within the industry in Bahrain at the time. That has changed, of course. However, I would also say that when you have verbiage like that and conversations like that over the radio with who is supposed to be a person who's supposed to be a professional on the other end of the radio too, that does not bode well in setting you up your situation properly because you then negate regulations and proper understandings and there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a lot of, there's so many things wrong with it. There's just so many things wrong with it. Both ends of that radio then get affected by that communication. Mm -hmm. That's just the truth. They found, of course, massive problems with Gulf Air's organizational yeah stuffs status if an inadequacy inadequacies were identified in Gulf Air's A320 training program such as adherence to SOPs CFIT and GPWS responses you mean everything they ignored mhm everything they also found that at the time of the accident Gulf Air's flight data analysis system was not functioning satisfactorily and the flight safety department had a number of deficiencies which restricted the airline's awareness in many critical safety areas yes Yes, that yes. is true. That is very true. Can confirm. Safety oversight. None. <laughs> they found some really big problems with safety oversight, both within, of course, Gulf Air, but also the regulating bodies within Bahrain. Yeah, because that's how Gulf Air got away with it. Yes, nobody yeah. was checking. There were no checks and balances. Yes, the regulating authority in Bahrain did actually do some checks. However... They found some deficiencies when they did the checks, didn't do anything about it, didn't recheck those Oh, to make okay. sure that they were fixed. No. And a lot of the times, yes, they were also just not properly checking Gulf Air on right. a regular basis. Gulf Air also tended to come up with a lot of excuses. Of which course. They stated, here's, here's how they put that. Although the DGCAM, which is the governing body of these, the safety oversight by, yeah. by the regulators in Bahrain, 
Although the DGCAM was attempting to ensure regulatory compliance by Gulf Air, it could not accomplish it in some critical regulatory areas due to inadequate response by the operator. Uh, what? Which is them saying Gulf Air made excuses. However, my response to that is, when you don't get the response you want, you go and you watch. Yep. They have the right. The FAA does the same thing here. If the operator does not respond to you properly and says, you know, doesn't provide you with the responses you need to the questions you ask, and also doesn't give you good responses, then they're obviously beating around something, and it's your turn to go and look. The FAA actually has the right to step onto any airport at any time and ask anybody any questions about anything, by the way. Does that include passengers? Yeah, absolutely. The FAA can walk up to literally anybody at any airport in the country hmm. and ask them anything. They are the regulating body, right? Yeah. So they have the right. It's their job. I guess I just never thought about it. There are FAA inspectors that that is their whole thing. Typically, they're they're primarily focused, of course. They, they are around the major commercial airports, and they do help with a lot of things at those airports. But you also have FAA inspectors that go to the smaller GA airports, and they will walk up to like private pilots, people who just have little airplanes and stuff, and say, let me see your license. Can I see the registration to the airplane? Can I see you know, your hours, your logbook, your ratings and everything? Look through everything, make sure everything's clean. They can literally do that anytime, and they ha- do. People would probably hate to have them like on a, like a commercial flight and be like, go yeah. up to the captain and be like, I need to see all this information before yep. we leave. It's like, yep. <laughs> yep. yep. It's like getting pulled over by the cops. Exactly. Right. Right. Yep. Nope, it is. Absolutely. But you got to like treat it like you're a cop, not like, oh, you don't want to answer? Okay, cool. Yeah. That's not how that works. You have to go and you have to enforce it, right? It's their job to enforce it. And usually what that means with most of these regulating bodies is one, yes, we help and support you in fixing the problem, but also we're going to leverage fines against you until you do. And they do. Yes. Most regulating bodies will do that. They will start fining air operators airlines, what have you, saying you have to fix the problem you don't or have you a keep paying me more money <laughs> until you go bankrupt, which has happened to carriers in the past, actually. Fines have put carriers under. The eighth finding is kind of a fully wrapped finding, and I'll read this one out verbatim, but bear with me because it doesn't read very well. They found that as described in sections 1.17.11.1, 2.8.1, and 2.9.2, which are all parts of this report, and thereafter, the airline has taken a number of post-accident safety initiatives in the areas such as go-around procedures, training, CRM training, command upgrade training, so captain training basically, A320 fleet instructions, recurrent training and checking, instructor selection and training, pilot selection, modifications to the A320 automatic flight system, and the flight safety department. Gulf Air has further reported that it is in the process of enhancing its flight crew training, particularly that of the A320 aircraft, and introducing more safety initiatives. It's a very general statement, and it's kind of like this weirdly wrapped statement saying everything that Gulf Air did since the accident and then as of the time of the the report coming out. Obviously, a lot more has changed since Mm -hmm. then. Gulf Air is... They are a good airline. Things have changed a lot in Bahrain. Things have changed a lot with the airline. They're much better than they used to be. It is a different, a whole different world now. But it was good to see that Gulf Air put a lot of things into place right away. They had a lot of attention on them, of course, because this was a really yes. big, bad accident. So there was a lot of pressure to do so. And honestly, it saved the airline. Now, 
I know there's a lot of people out there in the industry that know why this happened, why why they were able to accomplish such things, because you talk about small carriers throughout history, and normally if they got hit with this big of a, basically, accident and findings, like there were so many problems with the airline, a lot of little airlines would go under. Mm-hmm. That's just it. We've talked about plenty of them. Yes, Gulf Air is a government-owned airline, right? Therefore, the government had the money, put up the money and the jobs on their own to make this happen. It did fix it. It really did, legitimately. But if, if yes, if this was a private company putting up their own money, might have been really hard and taken a lot longer. Right. So that's it for the findings. Okay, good Lord. Am I reading this whole thing verbatim? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Contributory factors. The factors contributing to the above accident were identified as a combination of the individual and systemic issues. Any one of these factors by itself was insufficient to cause a breakdown of the safety system. Such factors may often remain undetected within a system for a considerable period of time. When these latent conditions combine with local events and environmental circumstances, such as individual factors contributed by frontline operators, such as pilots or air traffic controllers, or environmental factors, such as extreme weather conditions, a system failure failure such as an accident may occur. The accident showed that no single factor was responsible for the accident to Gulf Air Flight 72. The accident was the result of a fatal combination of many contributory factors, both at the individual and systemic levels. All of these factors must be addressed to prevent such an accident from happening again. The individual factors, particularly during the approach and final phases of flight, were the captain did not adhere to a number of SOPs, such as significantly higher than standard aircraft speeds during the descent and the first approach, not stabilizing the approach on the correct approach path, performing an orbit, a non-standard maneuver, close to the runway at low altitude, not performing the correct go-around procedure, etc. In spite of a number of deviations from standard flight parameters and profile, the first officer did not call them out or draw the attention of the captain to them as required by standard operating procedures. A perceptual study indicated that during the go-around after the orbit, it appears the flight crew experienced spatial disorientation, which could have caused the captain to perceive falsely that the aircraft was pitching up. He responded by making a nose-down input, and as a result, the aircraft descended and flew into the shallow sea. Neither the captain nor the first officer perceived or effectively responded to the threat of increasing proximity to the ground in spite of repeated hard GPWS warnings. Two, the systemic factors identified at the time of the above accident, which could have led to the above individual factors, were A, organizational factors of Gulf Air, a lack of training and CRM contributing to the flight crew not performing as an effective team in operating the aircraft, inadequacy in the airline's A320 training program, such as adherence to SOPs, CFIT, and GPWS responses. The airline's flight data analysis system was not functioning satisfactorily, and the flight safety department had a number of deficiencies. In cases of noncompliance, and inadequate or slow responses in taking corrective actions to rectify them on the part of the airline in some critical regulatory areas were identified during three years preceding the accident. Safety oversight factors. A review of about three years preceding the accident indicated that, despite intensive efforts, the DGCAM as a regulatory authority could not make the operator comply with some critical regulatory requirements. Yeah. That was a mouthful. That was basically in place of the probable cause, kind of, except not really. It shows that it wasn't just one thing. It never is. No, it's not. But it was definitely a big series of breakdowns in organizations and safety and training and... Ugh, it was just it, the whole thing is just really ugly. They did have some recommendations. I would hope so. If they didn't, I would be concerned. Yes, a lot of things changed, of course, but to the DGCAM and the Sultanate of Oman because they wanted to address both. 
They recommended to review whether safety oversight surveillance is adequate to ensure airlines' timely compliance with all critical regulatory requirements. They recommended to ensure that Gulf Air updates the crew resource management program by integrating it in a line-oriented flight training in accordance with DGCAM regulatory requirements and consider implementing a line operations safety audit program. Yes, like most airlines have. Flight checks, basically. They just yeah. go watch. But you have to be performing CRM. I mean, that's just how it is, and they just weren't doing it. They recommended to ensure that Gulf Air reviews and enhances in accordance with the DGCAM regulatory requirements the A320 flight crew training programs to ensure full compliance with the standard operating procedures and increase the effectiveness of the first officer, being CRM. The training in CFIT avoidance and GPWS responses should be augmented by including it in the recurrent training program with a detailed syllabus in accordance with the DGCAM requirements. The approach in landing accident reduction toolkit, there's a lot of these, a lot of these have abbreviations, toolkit produced by the Flight Safety Foundation with extensive airline industry input could be a key element in the updated training program. They recommended to ensure that Gulf Air companies training and evaluation of flight crew performance consistently meets the required DGCAM standards. That's just kind of a no doubt. To me, that's not really, I don't even know why state that one. They should be following the regulations. They should be listening to the safety body that's by the regulators. Yeah. Telling them that they have to follow the regulations and they just weren't doing it. Why even state that as a recommendation? It's like telling airlines to follow the FAA's regulations. Right. Duh. Duh. That's not a recommendation. Well, they weren't doing it, so right. maybe it is. <laughs> it's not a recommendation. Well, to me, the recommendation would be better oversight right? and better, what's the word I'm looking for? I have no idea. Not punishment. Repercussions? Consequences? Yes, maybe. Something like that. For not following them. They recommended to consider requiring Gulf Air to include in its flight crew training programs Initial, as well as recurrent, comprehensive information on spatial disorientation. There are really good comprehensive spatial disorientation trainings for a lot of airlines these days, and it has helped the industry a lot. They did a huge one after um, one of the accidents I covered in our mm-hmm. episode. I don't remember which one it was. Don't ask me. Go listen to them, people, and yes. you can tell me. Because uh, right. <laughs> there's now been like over 40 of those, and I don't remember. That's right. But um, How do you think I feel after 226 of these? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, uh, if I can even get to the point where I can do them monthly again, because my brain can't freaking I know. I, I anything. Anyway, but... They did a huge training and development mm-hmm. with spatial disorientation because it's such a like big problem. <laughs> like, yeah, it takes one little thing and your body gets like, oh, no, this is the right way. Yeah. You listen to it and then plane goes boomy. Like, yes, sadly, yes. You got to learn to not listen to your body, which is the opposite of what you want to do. Yep. Yep. That's why it's so easy to happen. Yep. They recommended to ensure that Gulf Air reviews and improves the functioning and utilization of the A320 flight data analysis system in accordance with the DGCAM regulatory requirements. It's kind of a long-winded way of saying the safety program that's built with the Airbus, the A320, to make sure that you're utilizing it properly, to be checking all the safety features and factors of the airplane, as well as using that data analysis to see how pilots are flying your airplane. Right. They recommended to consider requiring Gulf Air to augment the accident prevention strategies and adopt programs such as the Procedural Event Analysis Tool, PEAT. 
and implement a comprehensive integrated safety and risk management program. Sure. I mean, that's what most airlines already have things like that. There are things like SMSs, basically. Yes. Is what they're getting at. Safety management systems. Yep. A lot of industries have adopted the SMS systems that aviation uses. And there's other industries that used them long before aviation, too. But it's the aviation industry has to use them a lot more broadly now, especially recently. Like, all airports have to adopt SMS systems now. It's a very recent thing. On top of the airlines have them, and then most operators around airlines have them have their own as well. So SMSs are very thorough in aviation. Maybe it's because they work. Right. To the owners of Gulf Air, the states that owned Gulf Air at the time, which were Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, Oman, and Qatar, you might see why Oman was so involved. Mm-hmm. They recommended a couple of things. Now Gulf Air is pretty much just Bahrain because Qatar Airways exists. Is bigger. It's existed. Emirates is bigger. So, you know, different world now. And then Eddie had to. They recommend to ensure that the Civil Aviation Regulatory Authority of Gulf Air, DGCAM, Sultanate of Oman, has the full and continuing support of the governments of those states in implementing regulatory compliance by the airline. Everywhere that they're owned, operated, and where all the crews are based, they all have to follow the same regulations. Make sure that they're all doing everything properly. Yeah. They recommend to ensure that the management of Gulf Air complies with civil aviation regulatory requirements effectively and expeditiously. Follow the ICAO. Yeah. Like They've the, given you some really fantastic guidance. Yeah, like the regulations are there for a reason. Right. Like you should use them. Right. Don't get me wrong. It is an absolutely insane undertaking to create, manage, and uphold an airline. It is unbelievable. There are organizations in the world and different businesses in the world that make massive amounts of money and require very little staff. There are then airlines, which are massive companies, make quite a bit of money, but not a huge, huge amount of money compared to some companies, but require insane amounts of staff because of the amount of work it takes to create and operate an airline. However, that said, the ICAO has outlined how to do the entire thing, basically, for you. When you start an airline, there should be no question about how to set up an airline how to organize it, what you need, because the ICAO outlines all of it. It's not like you're taking a shot in the dark and just creating a company from scratch not knowing how to do anything. It's like airline for dummies. Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. To the civil aviation affairs of the Kingdom of Bahrain, they recommended to enhance guidance to air traffic controllers for addressing requests from pilots to execute non-standard maneuvers, such as an orbit during the final approach. When on final approach, requests from pilots to conduct non-standard maneuvers should only be approved by controllers after they have ascertained the required safety parameters. This is kind of a gray area. And again, they're addressing air traffic controllers here, but they're not addressing anything about the verbiage, which I still think is strange. Uh-huh. That obviously has still since changed. So that's the good news. The bad news is they don't address it here, but what they do address is the fact that the air traffic controller didn't say anything about the aircraft doing the left 360. They just approved it because they assumed there was no other airplanes around. It's fine. Well, don't make assumptions. Yeah. They didn't look at the altitude or speed or anything of the aircraft. They should have. And this is this is how this goes in most countries in most places. They can't. It's not that they can't deny it. But they should have said, unable to do a left 360 at this time, 
perform missed approach. Yeah. And that's what they should have. That's what the air traffic controller should have done. Now, we know how the missed approach thing went. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean it would have saved the accident. However, yes, I do think it could have potentially helped. But also, yes, I get what they're getting at with the oversight by the air traffic controller of what the aircraft is actually doing when it's asking for non-standard maneuvers during a strange and very critical point of flight. All that to say... Listen to your air traffic controller. And the air traffic controllers need to have they need to have a lot more training in Bahrain. A lot. Like a yep. lot, a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Like you should go through like a course or something. It sounds like someone just plopped you there. Pretty much. 3.5 my Yeah. Stupid uh, watermelons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a new thing now. Oh boy. You got to use units, people. I'm just going to start filling it in with watermelons. <laughs> I'm going to tell Paige to specifically not cut anything about watermelons. <laughs> well, Nick's the one editing this episode. Oh, that's true. Yep. Don't so cut that Nick, out. don't cut anything about watermelons. Maybe that's the next turtles and electricity. I will. The I will three do, and a half watermelons. I will no, do 3,500 watermelons. Okay, it said 3.5. That could yes. mean 3,500. That could mean 3.5. Yes, it could. You're right. 3.5 kilo watermelons? That's a big watermelon. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I've deep, only got two more. Deep dive for the post episode. Yes. The world's biggest watermelon. <laughs> yes. We are solving the world's problems. The world's biggest problems right With here right now. With watermelons. With watermelons. <laughs> Anyways. I've only got two more, and these two are to the ICAO. Oh. They're short. They recommend to consider making the following as a standard applicable in all classes of airspace. A speed limit of 250 knots below 10,000 feet. Yeah. They did. Wow. Oh, my God. Why are they going so fast? They did, and they actually did this a long time ago. <laughs> they did. They, Didn't we talk about it during the New York collision? Yes, yes, we did. But was it just the FAA that did it, not the ICAO? That's part of it. Part of it, the ICAO adopted it, but it was only for certain airspaces. The whole thing here was saying it needs to be adopted everywhere. Yeah, it needs all to be, airspaces. It needs to be applicable to everything below 10,000 feet, yeah. period, full stop. Yes, they were going way too fast. And finally, they recommended to consider prohibiting non-standard maneuvers such as orbits when an aircraft is on the final approach unless safety considerations demand otherwise. What they mean by that, and this is this is common rule across the board through all of aviation. If you find yourself in a dangerous or emergency situation, the pilot has the right and the control to fly the airplane and do a maneuver, whatever that maneuver is, to save them and the airplane. Yes. That's one thing. But you actually have to do the thing that saves the airplane. Right. But to request this really random maneuver that he did, the left 360, to try to slow down and lose altitude when he's really close to the runway, not a good maneuver. What they're saying here is to make it so that it's absolutely prohibited across the industry to do so. They haven't exactly done that, although it kind of is. What they've done instead is, of course, said, if you're doing an approach... And you have a missed approach procedure on the approach chart, which all approach charts uh-huh. have missed approach procedures. You must follow the missed approach procedure unless, of course, you're in a dangerous situation. But you have to follow that. Yep. Right. That's it. You can't be doing these random willy-nilly maneuvers because you didn't do the approach properly. If you didn't do the approach properly, go missed. That's, that's a you problem. Sorry. That's it. You're going missed approach. Yes, it takes longer, but you have to do it. And yes, this was a Gulf Air problem, too, because they were dumb. They were forcing their pilots to not 
do missed approaches. They to weren't look forcing good. them. There was just a culture around it, which they is were coercing, not good. They were coercing their crews into not doing missed approaches Linda. to make themselves look better. It but doesn't matter. It instead, makes you it you're was perfectly less good pilot if you can be like, you know what? This ain't working. We got to go around and do it again. Yep. Like that makes you a better pilot than, oh, I'm going to force this plane down whether or not it likes to. Well, that right. and there are so many circumstances beyond your control that can warrant a go around. Yeah. I see missed approaches and go arounds in daily. Denver daily, multiple times. Really? A day. I've never... Oh, yeah, absolutely. It happened I all mean, the time. I mean, we've never been on one that had a missed approach. Yes. Yes, we have. Which one? When we came back from Baltimore. We went missed. Did we? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. I was catatonic. <laughs> I'll yeah. be honest. <laughs> I, yeah. That was, me and Christy were both sick, and I was yeah. like, I'm I'm done. I'm yeah. just ready to be home. No, I remember that one. No, we went, we went missed. We went missed on that one. And yeah, it it's really common. I literally, I see it all the time. Every once in a while, you see you see an airplane that just looks out of place. When you get used to your airport and you know what the airplanes are, like where they're taking off and landing, you know you know what that looks like. But all of a sudden, when I see an airplane going from north to south on the west side of the airplane, on the west side of the airport, and it's already up at like, you know, 2,000 feet, 1,000, 2,000 feet. Yeah. I know it went missed because at Denver, they don't take off from north to south on the oh, west yeah. side of the airport. They don't do it. You don't do it. It doesn't make any sense. You don't make any sense. So it's one of those things where I see it all the time. I'm like, oh, look, missed approach. And that's usually because of spacing. It could be because of weather. It could be because of who knows. There's so many things, so many reasons. But they always go missed approach and follow the missed approach procedure. Okie dokie. And that's it. That's Gulf Air Flight. I don't remember. 72. 72. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks for listening, people. We really do appreciate it a lot. You should tell your friends and family. To come listen. Yeah. Because it's cool and stuff. Also, you should check out the Patreon page and all the cool stuff that comes with the Patreon subscription. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't have to. Obviously, we have patrons that are free patrons, so you won't really get anything from that. But you can be a free patron to show that you support the podcast, so it'd be great. You can also do stuff um, on Spotify for podcasters, too, if you are so willing. You yes. don't have to, and it's weirdly set up so yeah it is just be aware like you can be a supporter there but it doesn't always work yeah <laughs> or it does for us but i mean you don't get any extra anything no you don't get that. anything for that why would so, you do that when you could go to patreon and get stuff right it's up to you friendos it's it's your decision thank you so much for listening uh, remember to check out all the stuff like the merch page and the website yep. and the newsletter and uh, turning in all the trivia questions and all that good stuff um the listener episodes yeah yep do all the stuff yeah all the uh, things and uh you know we hope you have a safe and healthy week and we'll catch you all next week keep, keep your speed up, up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by The Lovely Page. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.